1: I feel like you should really appreciate
0: your come up. It's the most romantic part of your career. When you get past all the bullshit, then you're like, really, this was great. And it did happen for a reason. And the universe did make it go this way. A lot of the relationships that we put ourselves through are very temporary. People come in your life for a reason. Those reasons are the stories that you tell to other people. I think it's such a beautiful time right now where people are really being encouraged to celebrate their culture and celebrate their differences and celebrate things that we maybe been made to feel ashamed of yo what's up what's up it's Sean Leon hi it's Myrna what's up guys this is Khalid
1: hey what's up it's Ali you're listening to the come up show get inspired hey welcome to the come up show podcast my name is Cheddar. I'm the host and founder of the come up show and I'm truly proud to present my special guest today he's one of those guys that plays a lot of roles so are y'all ready for this all right Gavin Shepherd is the founder of Public Records, which is a record label that has a partnership with Universal Music Canada. He's also the co-founder of Quiet As Kept, which is a management company and an agency. And I feel like one of his important contributions and roles, he is the co-founder of The Remix Project, which is an incubator that's played a crucial role in a lot of creatives in Toronto and artists like JC Reyes, Wonder Girl, Rich Kid, Hustle Girl, and so many more. You can go check out the website to see their success stories, which is why I'm really excited to have Gavin Shepherd on the Come Up Show podcast. We talk about his history, his come up, Toronto, and so much more. Without further ado, Gavin Shepard on the Come Up Show podcast. Let's go!
0: <laughs> Please introduce yourself. Hey, my name is Gavin Robert Desmond Shepherd, a.k.a. No, a.k.a.'s. Once upon a time known as Public. Pro- there's probably some great AKAs that your friends could tell me probably, right? <laughs> there's a few, man. I used to do uh, college radio myself um, for nine years, actually, almost 10 years with DJ Grouch up at York U at 105.5. And um, so I had a bunch of AKAs, and I used to always start off the show with, you know, Gavin Shepard, AKA, no AKAs, and then I would list off a bunch of AKAs anyways. Um, but you know what it is. It's real name, goods people. Uh, what was the name of that radio show? It was called The Soundcheck Show. The Soundcheck Show. Yeah, what, it was DJ was... Grouch and, uh, and Contagious, you know, where the two, well, two of the co-founders. There was other folks that were involved before me even, mm. but it had been around for about 15 years, uh, maybe a little longer when, it, when we finally uh, shut it down. And um, took it to other spaces, but DJ Grouch, you know, he's a he's an absolute pioneer mm. in hip hop, not just in hip hop in Toronto, but in hip hop period, you know. And so I was really blessed to kind of come up under his wing as one of my mentors, you know, like from from when I was young.
1: Mm. And what like uh what period was this like uh, when you were on the radio?
0: Uh, so I was I yeah. was seventeen, eighteen. Mm-hmm. So that was like two thousand to. 2009 basically 2000
1: 2009
0: yeah to 2000 to 2009 it was so it was right after we'd started ic visions which was the precursor to the remix project it was a community center in south etobicoke lake Shore, islington mm. neighborhood where we grew up and um i'd met grouch early on very early on at that point and um he invited us up at IC inner, Visions. Inner City. Inner City Visions, okay, okay. yeah, exactly. Yeah, inner yeah. City Visions, but yeah. it, we called it IC Visions yeah, uh, for obvious reasons. And, you know, it was like a space where you would have, like, breakdancing floor once a week. You know, we were only open Sundays. Uh, mm-hmm. It was a drop-in program. Once a month we would do an open mic. Sometimes we'd do battles that got crazy. And over the years we kind of developed a reputation, and, and then it evolved and evolved evolved and became the Remix Project in 2006 after uh, – you know 2005 and all that madness Hmm. so but i met grouch in like 2000 summer and uh he invited me up to the radio show to talk about the program and to talk about you know what's happening in the community similar to what we're doing here today Hmm. and um you know from there we kept coming back and he was like you know him and contagious who's another real foundation guy you know in the city um basically we're like look you know would you come on and speak a little bit more about what's going on in the city like what concerts are happening what shows what things are community oriented you know and bring that angle and of course write the playlist mm-hmm. you know so my job was to write the playlist for a long time and to carry grouch's records and then eventually speak a little bit more and more
1: write the playlist and physically write physically it down write for the, the radio station exactly because it's like, something as a dj you don't want to be doing no hell no yeah,
0: yeah you know you're All in the, the mix and especially grouch he's really yeah. in the mix he's not just yeah. playing records beginning to end like he's yeah. he's a mixed dj he's a scratch dj he's a he's a battle dj he's a dj's dj you know so he's playing records um and we're just trying to catch up, you know, with a pen and a pad, literally yeah. writing them down because you want to get people their SOCAN or their, their ASCAP or their, you know, their, their yeah. royalty money. So, you know, we, we were very diligent about that. But that's kind of where you start. You start, like, writing playlists and carrying crates for the DJs because this was at a time where it was all vinyl, right? And York University, that's the fourth floor. So you're going up four flights of yeah. <laughs> stairs with them vinyl, man. Yeah. Definitely built a little bit of muscle. I became wiry for a second. Um <laughs> But yeah, that was kind of like my, my come up there. And I met a lot of people in the city through that radio show, you know, and, um, and because I could write, you know, like whether it was grants or whatever, I started writing bios for folks. And so I got put on to a lot of people because I started being known as the guy that could write your bio. Oh. And so this is again, a time when you needed like factor grants and things like that. So you needed a little bio and a press kit. And, um, and so people would start coming to me for that. And then. I, am, I have been friends with a guy named Brian Espiritu um, who was just starting graphic design and we had let basically hold the keys to our office and we would just crash there teaching himself graphic design because he was a sick illustrator by hand. You know, he could draw, but he was just learning Using that. Using the so York
1: had, University computer. No, he was in, sorry, my okay. bad, at Icy uh, Visions. Okay, and This okay. is the
0: same time frame that the, both these things are happening parallel. Okay. And so he was teaching himself graphic design on, uh, on our one computer that we had there, crashing at the spot a lot, and I would bring folks back there and be like look i'll write the bio he could do the press kit you know and design or whatever and and again we just started meeting so many people and came up together in a lot of ways you know, mm. going to concerts well, whatever
1: any notable like memories during the radio show in terms of artists coming on and that type of stuff like that oh you... man
0: yeah i mean there's there was a lot of really cool artists and, and folks but to me i mean the memories are always just being with the guys and you know and like Week in and week out. I mean, shout out uh, Simone as well, Simone Mm -hmm. and everybody else that supported. But, like, um, you know, like, just being with, you know, being with the guys, you know, and week in and week out and having that camaraderie and just, like, loving new music and being so excited when that record came on and, like, finding music, discovering music, sharing music, you know, like, that was, those are the memories for me that were so incredible, you Mm -hmm. know, like, that moment where, like, you know, you get a record and you just, you want to punch your best friend in the face because it was just so, like, it was MOP mm-hmm. record. you're like, ah, I just <laughs> want to throw a chair. Like, this is crazy. Yeah. But, like, or, like, this beautiful song that you wanted to share with someone. But, like, those were, that was a special space, you know, because the internet, of course, was there. I'm not that old, mm-hmm. you know, but, like, it was a different space in terms of file sharing and songs and all that. Like, it wasn't as rampant. It wasn't as easy. It wasn't as accessible still, you know. Um, so you still were, like, you still relied on DJs to, to find records and break records and, and mm-hmm. whatnot. And so, like, I, you know, those were the moments, man. And and just, like, you know, the real love for the music and the culture. Like, folks used to drive me home. That was York University. I live at Lakeshore and Islington. And they'd drive me home. That show was 10 p.m. to 12 o'clock. And then they had to be up, Grouching them had to be up real early for their day job in the morning, you know, like 5 a.m., 6 a.m. And just you know, the love and respect I have for those guys for not only the show and for what they did for the culture and the platform that they created day in, like day in and day out or week in and week out, but also like just looking out for a young kid like myself, you know, because they're older than I am and like making sure they drive me home and make sure they don't, I ain't, you know, screwed up out there like on the block trying to take the bus at like 1.30 in the morning or whatever it mm-hmm. is. Like, you know, those are the types of values that also were really impressed upon me. So it was about community, it was about culture, it was about the music, but it was also like these values of like take care of folks, you know what I mean? So mm. all of that made a huge impression on my life.
1: What What was it like uh, going from like, obviously you're a fan of the culture, a fan of the music, but now you're in a, pa- in a position to actually, you're on a radio, the radio, radio show. Right. You know what I mean? There's a, you know, there's a thing when you're, we're consuming, consuming, we're a fan, fan. Now we can contribute on a, some type of platform.
0: Right, yeah. What was that? Like? I mean, I've always yeah. wanted to contribute in one yeah. way or another. And I think it's, you know, that choice of words is, that you use is a good one, you know? Because, like, I, I didn't want to always just... I never, I never felt like a passive... Or I never wanted to be passive, a passive listener. Even though I think the most important thing in hip-hop is a fan. You know, like absolutely, and we need more folks that just want to be fans, and that's it. That's that's great. You know, that is incredible. Um, but like, I started selling mixtapes in grade nine. You know, like at the at the bus stop and at Islington Station. You know, and at Kipling Station. And what like, kind of mixtapes? What was, what like, was there's it? There's a guy named DJ Ewok. You know. Okay. Um, DJ FX, the Ewok is mostly who I sold tapes for. Hmm. Um, And, you know, they were hip hop tapes, but they were underground tapes. And what was crazy was even at that time, like they had Toronto artists on them mixed in with U.S. stuff. Like, I I feel like I'm 36 years old. I just turned 36 years old. I'm 82, baby. Hmm. right? So I feel like I'm one of the first generations that actually grew up with Toronto hip hop, not making Toronto hip hop. You know what I mean? Because when I was in grade seven, Maestro had Let Your Backbone Slide Out. Or sorry, when I was in grade two, I was seven years old. Mm. Maestro, Let Your Backbone Slides Out. So like that's one of my first songs I remember. And that's Toronto rap music. So to me, it wasn't like just an American thing. You know what I mean? And so I grew up within it a little differently than some of my OGs who understood the culture as, like, trying to penetrate or trying to do something brand new, mm. I felt like there was also, there was a lot of people that I could look to even if there wasn't a lot of, like, international successes that we could point to, you know? But that was, a, again, for very different reasons, distribution being the the key of them, right? Mm-hmm. Um, it was it was very dope to finally get on the radio, and and it was an incredible experience, of course. And what I took from my years of being a fan of college radio was, like, you know, my favorite pieces of the different folks, I, you know, that as most artists do, you know. So for me growing up, I listened to the Power Move, you know, with DJX and Me, mm-hmm. And like there, I loved the energy of their show and how their back and forth was and like how each person brought something different to the table um, and their knowledge of, of, of hip hop. And then, but I also loved Dropping Dimes with Gemini. And I felt like Gemini, like you listened to Gemini and that was your best friend. Like, just the way that she hosted the radio, like, you just felt like she knew you, you knew her, Mm. that's the homie, and it was amazing, you know? And then when it was, like, RC and Musically Insane at 105, and then later at 88.1, and then over at Flow, finally, you know, with P-Plus, joined them and whatnot. Real Frequency. Real Freaks, you know? Uh, Like, RC was who I based so much of my, like, hosting on, you know? Like... I can still remember him signing on all the time. Like, it's ARC, the actor. Was it the benefactor, never the actor, the dominant factor? You know, and he came up with so much Toronto slang. Like, that whole era, like, Theo 3 coming up with Screwface Capital. But, like, uh, RC, he doesn't get enough credit for how much Toronto slang I feel like he originated as well. And just, Mm -hmm. like, the twists on certain words and... You know what I mean? The, well, I don't know, man. It's well, just like now, it's deep. So on the radio,
1: f- not, f- not only the streets, but it's on the radio
0: now. Yeah, and so to yeah. hear all those yeah. things and, and you just kind of take the best pieces of them and try to figure out, okay, well, what's your style and how are you going to contribute back to the culture and what are you going to bring that is different but is relevant? You know what I mean? And that mm-hmm. is still like, I don't know. Again, your word contribute is a good word, especially for me because growing up as a white male – you know, I have blue eyes. I'm a white kid that loves rap music that is predominantly a black and brown culture. You know what I mean? And and was originated in those communities and, and understood that from the beginning. And I'm self-aware, you know? And, and for me, I, I didn't want to be, you know, like another colonizer settler in that space in a neo way. And I listened to a lot of artists that educated me, you know, from a young space where I had my own kind of like... Kind of crisis of like, well, how do you contribute in a way that is, that is going to build folks up that isn't taking, you know? Um, and so it was, I've always been trying to navigate that in a lot of different ways, you know, and, and trying mm. to help empower and and grow, you mm. know, from from different spaces too, and and engaging in the culture that way because I feel like I've received so much, you know what I mean, whether it be knowledge or experiences or whatever. Um, friends, community through the culture that like I want to continue to give back to it and make sure that it expands in a in a way that is, you know, equitable, fair, and you know, safe.
1: Hmm. So I see visions, yeah. which would turn to, and and I, uh, so yeah, that came from uh, obviously there was a lot of gun. The summer of 2005, The what did they call the it? The summer of the gun, The yeah, summer yeah, of the gun, in 2005. Yeah, yeah. And so after that, did they, what, they wanted the city wanted to invest into some programming? So, yeah, I mean, yeah.
0: basically, you know, we'd been running for a while, the program yeah. for a while, and yeah. um, summer of the gun happened, which was a year where a record number of homicides had been happening amongst young people, and and young people were on both sides of the trigger. Um, we're victims as well, you know, not just the folks that were committing the crimes, of course. And so we have been identified as one of the groups that had been frontline, you know, working with uh, with these communities of folks that were front, you know, that were in it, basically. And there was a young man named Kande Ba, and Kende, uh was sitting on the mayor's community safety secretariat, which is a long title, but it was basically an advisory panel to the mayor's office, John, uh, sorry, David Miller, uh, at the time, who was who was the person in charge. And um, basically... Kane Day came to us and was like, Man, I have a vision. You know, we had this small program called IC Visions. It was a drop-in program. It was up to two days a week at that point. We had a small studio already at that point going. You know, we had our little kind of business incubation stuff going, but it was very informal. It was really just Drex and myself and a few other folks like Prologic and So's and uh Sprox that were around and supporting, but you know, really us just kind of pushing. And um and Candy came kind of saying, Look, I have a vision for more. And what would you do with more funding? What would you do with more support? What would that look like? You know, there's a program called Fresh Arts back in the day. Um, have you heard about it? And I was like, Nah, what was it? So he started putting me onto what that was and um, brought us to the mayor's. Safety Secretary basically showed us, showed them IC Visions. We became a priority project, mm. and this idea of remix came to life. It was basically, what would you do with more resources and funds? What would you do with more support? You know, because at the time, the city was going crazy, funders were going crazy. Everybody was like, we need to do more, we need to do more, but nobody knew where exactly to go and what to do. And so there was this unique moment where youth-led programming was kind of a, a big cry that had gone up around the city. And there was amazing groups all over that were popping up of young leaders that were for our age and our demographic. Um, and that were basically taking kind of destiny into their own hands and saying, we want to be able to be decision makers, you know, and we want to be able to engage, not just engage in programming, but we want to create it and produce it. And, um, so yeah, folks all over the city, you know, started coming together and, I guess, like accessing this new funding and things that happened from 2006 to 2009, and there was like this explosion of, of really amazing stuff happening in the city. Mm-hmm. Um, but like most political things, it came to an end. Um, you know, a new, a new priority comes into play, a new power takes office, they want to put their stamp on something, they want to say that they created something, so... You can't – there's not enough money for everything, so you got to get rid of the other guy's stuff or the other woman's stuff and now put in the new thing, you know, and put (laughs) your stamp on it and say this is what I'm doing for better or for worse, right? And so a lot of youth programs unfortunately got left out in the cold, um, and Remix is one of the few that kind of was able to keep going, you know, through a mix of not just relying on uh, government funding but also finding corporate funding, private funding, throwing our own fundraisers, parties, and just being tireless – you know about it and relying on our community, you know, in a lot of ways to make it work.
1: Hmm. So uh, Yourself Drex and Kenda Kenda Kenda. Yeah, we're basically uh, the fo- founders of yeah. the remix project
0: Yeah, the three of us co-founded it with a lot of support from the city of Toronto Specifically like that's that What does that mean the city of Toronto? It's like a building, you know specifically there was kind of two folks um, that were there and um, working with us, you know, and kind of assigned to support us. And Denise Andrea Campbell was at the forefront of that. And so she's a woman that's still working with the city. Um, And uh, she's basically, you know, like really, really like helped us navigate a lot of the funders, uh, introduced us to people, opened doors and and kind of made a lot of things happen. And she was just a few years older than us as well. So she was another young, like, kind of champion mm. out there that's continued to do incredible work in the city. You know, well, so there was, like, there was a community there. You know, there was folks also around. At the time, like, we started pulling in people really early. Like, the first round of programming, I consider most of those staff co-founders. You know what I mean? Because lay grew so much of it. It came out of their personalities, their decisions. The first, you know three to five years of programming, you know what I mean? was, like, a lot of it came to life as we were going. We were figuring it out. Yeah. Know? So, like, you know, conceptually, yeah, you know, it was us kind of banging around the idea, you know, but a lot of people put themselves into the program for it to become what it is today.
1: What was the early days of the Remix project like, man? So who was, like, uh, like, at that time, like, the main people,
0: like, our staff... The staff, in the yeah. first round, we didn't yeah. even have a creative arts program. It was our yeah. second year that we introduced creative arts because we didn't yeah. have the funding off the bat. Mm-hmm. So we always knew we wanted to institute that because I think the power in Remix is that it is a space where you have different uh, streams coming together, you know, and you have like a graphic designer meets a photographer who meets a recording artist who meets a business manager who meets a producer. And that's where the magic starts to happen. Mm-hmm. Um but we just didn't have the money so we started off with just recording arts and business and it was led the program leaders were soze uh leading the recording arts program and the business arts program was led by t-rex by tyrone edwards mm-hmm. um and we had nilda uh, lady noise was our was our youth leader and uh, myrna um we used to go by aya the singer as well was a youth leader and then uh, prologic was a young youth leader there's a bunch of different folks around but that was kind of the early crew. And then Brian Espiritu came on for the first uh, round of creative arts as a program leader. And Brian Brock was the youth leader in that round, um, who later became, is now our dean, right? There. Mm. And so, and then Amanda Paris came on very early, probably uh, round two or three uh, of programming. And that kind of made up the nucleus, mm. you know, of the team in a lot of ways. And then it it started to evolve, you know, but a lot of it's through the same family and group of folks, you know, that have just been kind of dedicated from day one. And even the folks that have moved on, you know, to pursue different things are still very much involved, whether it's in a volunteer, whether it's looking out for alumni, opening doors, creating opportunities, or whether it's just like being an ambassador out in the world. Mm -hmm. Um, You know, the, the relationship with Remix doesn't end. It doesn't begin even really, rather to be honest, or end with employment or even being in the program specifically. You know, hmm. again, it's very much like it's you get in what you put in, and if people start to contribute, then they become remix fam. Like you become fam, not by birthright, but by action and by deed. You know what I mean? And so that's kind of how it's always been.
1: Hmm. And th- there are definitely a lot of notable graduates. Uh, alumni
0: yeah,
1: that are out and about like that are that are representing as well too mm-hmm. uh is there some names that you can name of the people who are alumni
0: yeah i mean yeah. there's folks across all yeah. different streams and that's what's yeah. amazing again like you know the music stream gets is is the loudest by its very nature it's music it's turned up you know mm-hmm. but i think a lot of folks would know our business program too like there's get fresh company you know on queen street west is a bricks and mortar store that is not a small feat that is a big deal queen west, yeah, yeah. on queen street west yeah queen street west yeah and you have your own brand when i met fresh he was selling michelin s out the trunk you know what i mean years ago like then as we saw he went into like wardrobe styling you know, and was assisting at a company and then started managing the men's side, then managing the whole company, then started doing wholesale stuff, then opened a storefront or had a piece of a storefront, like within a storefront he's paying rent and eventually running it and now he's got bricks and mortar. Mm -hmm. And I walk into ACC last year and I see a Get Fresh YYZ hack collabo with Mitchell and Ness to launch the Raptors' first game of the playoffs. Like how crazy is that? You were selling Mitchell and Ness out the trunk, bro you're collaborating with Mitchell and S for the ACC like first day Raptors playoff like that's nuts so that to me is incredible as well and then of course you do have folks like Jesse Reyes Wonder Girl you know Francis guy he rich kid mm-hmm. you know um, folks just across different generations like the business program again future the prince you know um, who manages the boy you have um, also staff like a lot of staff that have gone on to do interesting things you know like whether it's uh, Brian Espiritu in the Legends League, you know, and Brock and Tyrone, T-Rex with One Love T.O., and and their individual careers, you know, with Amanda Paris now being such an incredible force at CBC. Um, yeah, it's just, it's really kind of amazing to see where folks have, have mm-hmm. gone, you know, and, and what they continue to do. And again, I, I really credit, if there is any credit going back to Remix, where the credit goes to is to being a space... That was a safe and supportive space for young creative people to meet each other mm. because that was what was needed. You know, it wasn't anything that like Gavin Shepard specifically did. It wasn't anything that Drex Jankar, Kane DeBoss specifically did. It's a bunch of little decisions along the way. It was a vibe. It was a culture. It was all these things. It was about being welcoming, not being a screw face. It was like all these little decisions, of course, but it wasn't one person. It was never anything like that. Mm. Like, it was literally what we needed was safe space. And out of that, people were were able to find themselves and were able to actualize pieces of who they were. Mm. And they were able to do it in a place where they were supported to do that, you know, as opposed to having to do it as their second or third hustle, you know. And so that's why you see someone like Tyrone blossoming and and flourishing off, like T-Rex, and someone like Amanda Paris as well, and Brian Espiritu, because even Forty. You know, it was like it was the time of figuring out, you know, they were working on Detox, <laughs> 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 which is amazing. Still that out. <laughs> Shout out Detox <laughs> Bef- before Drake's career began. Yeah. Literally. Right. Yeah, like yeah. in a lot of ways. I mean, Room for Improvement, the mixtape was out. But like, yeah. you know, and they were, it was a, a whole decision was like, man, we got to go to do these sessions and songwriting whatnot, on. And we were like, hell yeah, go, bro. And he's like, am I going to lose my job? We're like, no. Like, yeah. this is amazing. Like, if you don't come back, we understand. But, like, mm-hmm. we'll give you a leave of absence and we'll make sure there's a safety net for you. And there was never, like, crazy shit where it's like, oh, you're taking... There's no, you know, like funds or doing anything like that. It's just more of an understanding that people have your back and that there's going to be somewhere that you can come back to and that you're going to be all right. Mm -hmm. You know what I mean? And so you could take a risk and you were able to take a bit more of that leap because there was a safety net there. Because for so many of our talented young people across communities, there aren't a lot of safety nets, you know, there's not a lot of spaces where they're going to catch them if they fall. And I think that's again the kind of the most important thing that's around those early years of remix and that spirit Mm. and that camaraderie and where it came from and where it grew to and what it's become um i think that was a lot of the magic
1: how did uh, 40 come into play like how did he
0: it came yeah. into play because we yeah. needed a new staff person you know i mean again this is before for recording art anyone or... is who anyone is yeah. at that time we yeah. were all people had a buzz in the city and he had a buzz for being a really dope producer for producing this crew called empire mm-hmm. right and that's where like adam bomb and adam scandalous bomb, yeah, and yeah. toxic and all these cats right and yeah. they were i mean they were a amazing and they were made up from people from all over the city so people knew him somewhat as a producer for that you know what I mean but again this is college radio this isn't like where we're anywhere where we're at today but basically like I respected his music we'd 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 had like a one-two conversation previous um and I'd you know supported him in some stuff and 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 I really was a genuine fan and basically um when it came down to hiring a new person, we were throwing names around the room. Um, and there was a few folks that could have had the job, to be honest, and probably also would have done incredible with the with the young people. But it came down to, he came in, we had an interview, and after like 15 minutes, we went outside and we were just like hanging out outside in front on the steps, talking for another half hour or so. And we were like, all right, cool, yeah. <laughs> this guy's the guy, you know? Like, he's he's the one. Because one, you could tell like, He really knew what he was talking about. He's always been someone that is incredibly, like, uh, researched and, you know, like, just like if he cares about something, if he wants to know about something, he's going to go find out, you know, and he's going to learn and he's going to figure out how to break the rules properly. You know what I mean? But, like, he's just one of the most intelligent dudes I know and, 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 like, has a real awesome curiosity, you know, that I think makes him special Mm -hmm. in, in that way. Um, and so that was there, but it was also apparent that he really cared, you know, about what we were trying to do and really cared about like, because at the time too, you got to remember we're young people. So we're talking about, we want to create a new industry. We want to create these new opportunities, but we're talking about ourselves in a lot of ways too, right? Like there's, there's people are always like, Oh, how did you get this thing? Remake? I was like, yeah, we were trying to get on. You know, like it was, there was no other places. There's no platforms. We had to do this ourselves. This is how we did it because we were in a country like Canada, you know, and so there were some grants that were available. There were other ways. And then we started to get educated about, oh shit, that's not right. Oh wait, this injustice. And you start to come into contact with more and more people, more and more realities. You start to become educated and you start to. I guess, be pulled deeper and deeper into uh, community politics and to different realities. But it didn't start out as this altruistic kind of like, we're going to save the world. It started out as like, we want to get on in music and we want to help out our our people around us. And then just our people started expanding, Mm. you know, and then it became formalized and it grew from there. So I think it was apparent to, to me that Forty really cared about putting on the city and this idea of creating a new reality because he experienced through empire and other people in his own life these incredibly talented individuals that just didn't seem like they had an outlet a real outlet or a way to get their music past the recording studio you know and um and he was passionate about supporting folks you know so Mm -hmm. between that mix of knowledge and curiosity and that passion for supporting folks and wanting to create new realities i mean that was the reason why we made a perfect fit. And it was the same reason we made a perfect fit with all the other staff that came in like T-Rex, like Amanda Paris, you know, like Brian Espiritu, Brian Brock, and, and et cetera along the, the years, you know? Like, as those are the kind of personalities and those those people is, is folks that believe very strongly in each one, teach one, um, but are also doers themselves, you know, aren't just speaking from a theoretical place, but are speaking from a place of practice.
1: Mm-hmm. You said we were, tr- you know, we were trying to get on. What What was the goal of like the getting on? What did you want to... I mean, I was, yeah. like I
0: said, I was selling mixtapes when I was 14, yeah. you know, like yeah. I, I wanted a record label. I had a management company. I was managing the foundation. Drex. Yeah, we had a crew called Foundation, or a collective, I should say, called yeah. Foundation that was yeah. made, made up of Tom Mason, the producers, World yeah. Rider studio, street-level imaging, um, and Rochester, A.K. Juice, the first artist that I, well, I managed Drex's group back in the day, but um, the first artist I managed outside of, like, my friend's. You know, was Rochester, a.k.a. Juice. And we did a deal with Maple Music, um, which is through Universal at the time, and, uh, and, and did a project in 2005, and five, six. Mm. You know, so it was like, again, I was selling, I had a clothing line in grade 11. You know what I mean? What like, was it, it was, called? It was called Manifest. Oh, wow. Yeah. Okay. Believe it or not. When Manifesto not- came out, I was like, all right, <laughs> cool. But um, shout out Amari, shout out Raju um remy and and puff man like we had a clothing line on paper called manifest back in the day and Mm. it just like we had hats t-shirts i remember we sponsored unknown misery i was sneaking Mm. into 19 plus shows at 18 to give clothing lines like clothes to artists and shit Mm -hmm. and just trying to just trying to make it you know trying to figure out how we could do something that didn't involve madness You know, and that was something that we could be passionate about because I never had success in the formal education system. You know, like I, I, I read a lot. My mom was a librarian and my dad's a journalist, you know, and so like I was reading all the time. But like, you know, I didn't do well in school. It just wasn't for me, you know, like at uh, the high school or post-secondary all the way through. I never went to post-secondary. Okay. I didn't even know I graduated high school until two years ago. What I did. Yeah, I did uh, six years of high school. And um on my sixth year I just stopped going. Uh, but the guy I guess ended up giving me a 49 50 and bumped up to 50 and so they passed me because I needed one credit and uh, I was in my fifth year because we have OAC yeah. from for my year. We were yeah. supposed to do five years for everyone out there. yeah you know under a certain age. but um, on my sixth year, the victory lap, I didn't want to go to a semester I wanted to go to a semestered school because I only need one credit. But then I failed the entire first semester because mm. I was starting IC Visions at the time. Mm. And I was selling mixtapes. I had the clothing line and I was starting the program. And I was just kind of like, yo, I, I know what I'm doing. Like, mm. forget y'all, you know. And then I was super kind of arrogant in some ways, too, because I was really angry. You know, in my I, my neighborhood had a lot of issues with addiction. Mm. And um, what area? Uh, Lake oh, yeah, Hazlington. Yeah. yeah. And um, like 10th Street. Yeah. And and, you know, a lot of my friends had dropped out of school early and I was one of the very few that didn't. And because I went to another school, I went to Richview Collegiate. I was in French Immersion. My parents are from Montreal, right? So I went 40 minutes out of the neighborhood to go up there. And I would just get really frustrated. I would see the reality of the folks up there and I would see the reality of where we were at. And, uh, you know, you get resentful and you get frustrated. And, and you know, like, I was kind of like, I mean, f- forget all these people. Like, I know what we're going to do. And a lot of it always came back to kind of like what we're going to do. And so it was like, whether it's a clone line, whether it's a mm-hmm. music thing, it was like us. You know, because it was that mentality when you're in teenager years, you know, where it's like, we're always going to be 20 deep for forever, you know, like, and it's always about everyone, you know, the mob and, um, and things change and you grow and evolve and. You know, you realize people fall off for different reasons, and a lot of times it's good reasons. It's not just bad ones, you know what I mean? And we've lost a lot of people over the years for whether it's to death or jail or deportation or what have you, but we've also lost a lot of friends to families and whatnot and to childbirth and to all these things, and we didn't lose them. We gained more, you know, family members, and we gained new realities, but it's just a different kind of movement. You know what mm. I mean? As you get older and you start to realize, you must have definitely you
1: know, clashed with your parents, though, when you didn't want to finish the school or whatever.
0: I mean, yeah. yes and no. But my parents were really like, h- kind of hippies yeah. and like left to center, right? My mom's a yeah. she worked in the library, but she's a painter, um, and and um, they they believe strongly in education. They definitely wanted me to do school, but like they never were like screaming on me or going crazy for stuff. They would like we'd have conversations, but I'd be, I would I would tell them what I was doing, you know. And, you know, my folks, they were young in the Trudeau era, the, the first Trudeau era. So they they were getting government grants and living on a commune like at 19. You know what I mean? And like mm-hmm. my uncle got a grant and started a, a independent movie theater. Mm -hmm. In his university for, like, three years or something. I remember them telling me stories. In Montreal? You know, like, uh, I I don't know where he went to school. But, um, you know, like, it's just always been freewheeling. Like, my my uncle ran away when he was 14 to Florida to sell hash, you know? And my mom's story was like, well, he was a big 14-year-old. And I was just like, what the hell? Like, it's just a different era. I'm not saying that they're loose or crazy at all, but I had incredible structure and warmth and love, and I had a great moral center I feel like because of Mm. my parents you know what I mean but they just had a very open way of communicating and understanding that like my path might not necessarily be the path going to Ivy League but that didn't mean that I was going to be a failure and I was really lucky you know in that regard because most of my peers didn't have that kind of support system you know what I mean my house was the house where everybody came to like, I wouldn't even be home. I come home, my boy Trey's downstairs, like, lifting weights and shit. I'm like, yo, what the fuck? I don't even have weights. So like, I don't lift, I've never lifted weights in my life. We only got a, a like, a dumbbell because someone else brought it over and, like, because it couldn't fit in their house. So we're like, yeah, we could shift it here and everyone could just use the basement. You know what I mean? Like, that was my house. Mm. Nobody was home half the time. Like, again, not in a negative way, but just like, oh, people were at work and then they come home. We weren't doing anything crazy, but this is where we were at, you know? Like, you come to my house after swimming at the pool at the bottom of the street and then we'll come back to my house you know what I mean and kick it for a bit like we were trading hockey cards in grade seven and eight and stuff before the streets came along and all the other stuff happened you know mm-hmm. what I mean so I don't know I grew up in a community where it was very much a community you know and we were taught to to care about each other and taught to look out for one another and that started at home for me but it did it was a reality throughout the community as well you know there's mm-hmm. a lot of people's other people's moms who I call mom you know what I mean? There's people I call my brother and I really mean that, you know, mm. like outside of just the, the slang that's popular today,
1: mm. you know? So uh, when 40 is obviously uh, working at the uh, at the remix project, but then after everybody's gone, after like 9 p.m., he's still in the studio,
0: Yeah, Yeah, right? yeah, yeah. Folks and are, who's I mean, coming through? Absolutely. I mean, yeah. everybody's coming through. You yeah. know, at that time, you know, of course, uh, Drake's coming through and they did a lot of early work. You had Jellystone coming through. Um, you know, that's where I first met Jelly was through 40 back then. Um, you had, um, Omen, you know, it's really dope producer from New York coming up and like, you know, again, that kind of like spirit of those folks working after hours, whether it was 40 and Drake and those guys using the studio to do a lot of the comeback season tape, um, and whether it was like years later, like Daniel Daly from division, right? Like he was the program leader up until two years ago in the program. Mm-hmm. And he was doing the same thing after hours from, you know, 2 to 8 you're working. Yeah. Afterwards, if no one's booked the studio, it's yours, you know, and you're just refining your craft. And not only are you refining your craft and working on your uh, on your music in a safe space again where you have hours to do it, which is such a privilege, but you have the benefit of working in the day with some of the most creative talented young people from across the GTA. So not only are you teaching and imparting, but you're learning because that's what humans do, right? Like it's never a one-way street. So like you might be teaching, you might be sharing, but you're also being like, oh, man, the way you do melodies is crazy. Or like, oh, man, I love the percussion on this. I never even thought. And your mind is expanding in different ways, you know, like there's pieces of like different big records out there in the world that have remix alumni or people that were participants in the program. And you're just like, hey, can you sing background for a second? and you're just like when you know that you're like man we really are a world class city cuz you realize there's people like in convenience stores that are like oh you sang on that record or like people that, the talent is everywhere all over the place you know it's mm. incredible so it was just i mean it was always inspiring to see how folks used that space and invited other people into it you know to create and to basically again like really refine their own craft but doing that in a way where it wasn't siloed you know, mm-hmm. it was in a space where you were bouncing off of other creatives because steel sharpens steel, as they say.
1: Mm-hmm. Well, yeah, and I think this is another thing as well, too, is uh, the Remix project, I would say, is uh, is and was instrumental to the OVO's foundation. Is that correct or no? Like, from, uh, obviously, Drake did what he did, but, like, yeah, I 40...
0: Mean, I, even, I, would, I would never yeah. say anything like that. I would say that we were... We were all around at the same time, and again, what Remix did was create a space where a lot of folks met. You know, like that's where Future and those guys really became tight, like Future and and the Boy and and and, and Forty and all that. But like, you know, Oliver was never in in Remix. You know, like and Oliver created Ovio, You know, like in terms of the blog, October's mm-hmm. very own dot and, and everything, right? Like. Mm-hmm. You know, there's a lot of people that contribute to what OV always say, Boy Wonder, all these folks that Boy Wonder has been a mentor, of course, and has actually been an incredible contributor. And it's not to say that Ollie hasn't done great things for remix as well, but I'm just saying that it would be unfair for us to say that we we did anything like that, I feel like. I think mm-hmm. what happened was again, we were a space that existed where really smart people found each other and were able to create a new reality using this safe space and this 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 platform if you will for a while and then Mm. jump off similar to jesse reyes you know Mm. i would never say that remix created jesse reyes but jesse reyes will talk often about what it meant for her to be in remix you know she was already a phenomenal musician she was already a great writer her voice is the same nobody taught her how to sing Mm. she already had a vision for where she wanted to be she needed to meet other creative people yeah she needed to meet the right people that again, that's not like remixes credits so much. I think it was, it is, it just, is just part of the story, it's I part guess. of the story, yeah. You yeah, know, yeah, yeah. and we happened just like when you talk about Philly and you talk about this open mic that happened where they had the roots, Erica Badu, Jill Scott, D'Angelo, Music Soul Child would all go to this freaking monthly open mic. And like, and uh, Erica, not all the time, she's obviously in South, but the rest of them are up there, and she supposedly would go up there, Angie Stone, like just incredible. And you just can't believe that all these people were in the same place. But why weren't they? Why wouldn't they be? Why wouldn't they be attracted? Once they started hearing like this was a space to go to, then all these talents, of course, would start to circle around each other. Mm -hmm. You know, Melanie Fiona was around back in those days as well. And she's gone on to the States and done incredibly well. You know, and she's lived down there and she hasn't necessarily come back, but she's continued to open doors for people, you know, but she's another person that was part of that moment in time you know, that has done incredibly well and gone off and whatever. So it's just, uh, yeah, it's inspiring, you know, to be honest, to, for me to be around it, to see mm. my peers and people that I respect and know, um, to be just as flawed as myself, you know, and just as flawed as the young people coming up underneath us to be doing these incredible things now, you mm. know, and to be continuing to try to navigate their realities versus their expectations versus other people's expectations on them and continue to put out incredible work, you know, on a world-class level and and inspire people and open Mm. more doors. So like I, you know, it's a, again, it's a privilege to be around, you know, it's a privilege to be a part of.
1: I think the quote that I read uh, that you did, uh, you said young creative people needed to meet other creative people who needed to meet other creative people. That's the magic.
0: Yeah, that's, that's entirely it, man. So, you know, in terms of like, Folks coming out of the space, folks definitely emerged out of the space. But did remix create something? Absolutely not. You know what I mean? Like, um, and I think that that's that's really what sums it up. You know, like mm-hmm. folks need to meet folks. We're stronger as a whole. You know, we really are. Like all these stories about independence. Chance the rapper said it so well at this award show. He was like, "Man, when people think independent means you did it by yourself, he's like, I did not. Here's my manager. Here's my other manager. Here's my radio team. Like." These are my people. Independent just means having the ability to make your own decisions, you know? And I think that that's an important thing to always recognize is, like, it really takes a team. It takes a village to raise a child. It takes a team to win a championship. You know what I mean? So, mm. like, it's, this is what it is. We're stronger as a collective. And people just have to be comfortable playing different roles, you know? Um, and that's, that's a hard thing sometimes.
1: That's a hard, 100%. Uh, I think it's important that you say that as well though because uh are, are the creatives and anybody out there needs to know because you know they may be watching videos on YouTube and they just think the, the the roles are either uh mc and and producer or dj no there's like there's there's so many other roles that an artist and a team needs whether it be and a creative director like exactly. there's like i think that's very very important to and tell there's so people. many people just yeah.
0: don't realize that yeah you know and that you could have a great life having an amazing career participating in this culture that you love and it has nothing to do with a microphone and a stage you know not for you anyways and i think like that's a very valuable lesson that people we hope people learn early. We say all the time at Remix, if you discover that you don't want to do something, that's a victory too. You know, like you didn't go to university and waste 4 years spending all this money to find out you hated something. Cool, you found out in a couple months and we helped you switch lanes and now you're on to a new track. There's folks that came in as rappers that are now music managers for some of the most successful acts out of the city. You know what I mean? And are doing really well for themselves, but they came into the program as rappers themselves and realize like you know what I love the music I'm creative but I don't really want to do that and that's not for me like I don't it's a lot of pressure being an artist Mm. in a different way and some folks like they rather like shoulder they already got enough to bear in a different way whatever it is you know but they're just like that's not for me i don't want to be up there i don't need all that attention all that i'll go take on this burden over here i'll go do this thing instead Mm. you know what i mean because either way you're taking something on you know and um and i think those are amazing victories you know what i mean because again you you end up having a life surrounded by people that you respect admire you being creative you putting into ideas into play um but for anyone that does want to be in the creative industry, they have to understand that it is one of the most competitive and difficult industries in the world to be a part of because everyone wants to be a part of it, you know, because everyone wants to, to be involved in the lifestyle of it and not the work of it. But if you want to be successful in this, it's about filling out Excel sheets. It's about going out all the time and networking and connecting with people. But it's about going home and actually doing the work. You know what I mean? Because a lot of folks got the networking part down and they got the FaceTime down, you know, in the, the, the fit, like where the forward facing, you know what I mean? Like yeah. where people can see what's going on. They got yeah. that part down, but they don't understand the behind the scenes. And this is not me like trying to disrespect anybody or sun anybody. I understand you kind of have to build a, a somewhat of an image and then you can kind of break into spaces and whatnot. but like there just really literally isn't enough understanding of how business works. It's the music business, not the music hobby, you know, and folks have a really skewed vision out there because of social media and and just media in general about like how the music industry works and how the entertainment industry works and how you get paid and how much you get paid. You know, and all those realities that most of us know, Hmm. you know, are kind of smoke and mirrors. But again, you find out there's smoke and mirrors at a certain point in your life. And if you're consistently dealing with the same age demographic of people, right? So like, you're not growing with the same person for 20 years. You're doing a program where every year you meet a new person that's the same age. So you're having the same conversation over and over again. You know what I mean? Mm-hmm. And you have to get to a place where you recognize it's a brand new conversation for that person even if it's a, a old conversation for yourself and not be jaded around it or be cynical around it or whatever. But it's a it's a tough thing, you know, to navigate sometimes. I know I'm kind of meandering a bit on that. No, no, no. I think it's very life.
1: important because they think cuz it's they they may think that it's, it's not their fault. They think the entry point is The lifestyle, man, that's what it's sold to us in media and music and whatever you're watching. It's a lifestyle and you think that's what it is. But yeah, there's, you know, what's your next six month game plan, one year game plan, grant writing and yeah.
0: Yeah. And even if you want to be a creator, like if you're doing photography, the reality is things are so fast now when you're doing like an event or something. Yeah. If you don't have those event photos up the next day or the day after that, like what are you doing? For what? Like, you, so that means you got to go home and edit after the party, which means don't party too hard, yeah. which means you're not going to have as much fun. Or if you are going to have as much, I hope you have as much fun because you don't need to like, go hard, you mm-hmm. know what I mean, to, to have a good time. But like, all I'm saying is there has to be an understanding of what your role and position is you know, and what the greater goal is besides the moment. And I think it's a fine line that we all have to walk because I also don't advocate sacrificing your youth for your for the, for your retirement. You know what I mean? Like I think you should live a little. I think you should have a good time. I think, you know, as creatives, we need to go out there and experience the world, to have our hearts broken, to go through different stuff that's gonna allow us to then find things within us to create. You know what I mean? But when it's time to work, it's time to work. And that's what's gonna separate folks nine times out of 10, mm-hmm. you know what I mean? Because reality is, again, like things, we're in such a fast-consuming culture that means you have to continuously create, you know? And so people want to be almost like these Insta celebrities because it's the laziest form of consistent content is just having an opinion, you know what I mean? Or or like selfie kind of life, hmm. you know what I mean? But it's the reality is I think everyone's feeling kind of like they have to feed the beast, you know? And it's getting harder to create consistently these high-level productions so yeah it devolves into what can we mass create consistently and so it gets it devolves in a lot of like ways like a drive-through you know I mean? or like a yeah, fast drive exactly. through instead type of thing, taking yeah. our time with things yeah and really taking a second and creating and then making it a moment you know um and it is not a right or wrong answer anymore you know to how the games played on that level But it is definitely doing stuff to our mental health, you know, in terms of like how fast we have to create or feel we need to create or to feed this kind of beast, as they say, Hmm. you know what I mean? Um, And it's definitely affecting the art on a lot of levels where you're getting a lot of art, in my opinion, a lot of music that is its emotional intelligence is incredibly high, you know, like it's tapped in with how people are feeling. Even like mumble rap, mumble rap is so tapped in. That's why it's as big as it is. That's why we can talk about it. That's why the purest lyricist kids hate it so much is because it's such a massive thing. Because they also can't help but be attracted to it. Because it's tapped in. Like it's really, it is emotionally intelligent. It gets where people are frustrated right now. You know what I mean? They're feeling like they're bang. Like there's there's glass ceilings. There's all these different things there that are like. You don't even know what to say. <laughs> like you just like have this energy, you know. And sometimes you're super happy and like the, especially like with how kids are partying these days. Like they're up, like it's it's an indi- indicator, you know, of where we're at, you know. But it suffered a lot in terms of just the reflection, you know, the self reflection. Let alone like knowledge, specifically about like this date and this thing or Marcus Garvey. Or people that we should know about and revere, you know, that's definitely something important. But because that's what hip hop taught me, you know, from my era, you know. But like, it's it's about knowledge itself more so, and I think that's one of the reasons why Drake came to such popularity and whatnot, and and J. Cole, and then Kendrick and whatnot. When people start talking about oh, the sensitive aspect of music, was it was a pendulum swing back from, you know, Dipset, Fifty Cent, where it was just like straight you know, bravado with no other sort. And it was like, went too far. You know what I mean? Of just like peak ignorance on a lot of shit. And people were like, nah, man, I'm human. Like, I, you know, I, I got feelings about other stuff. I need to express or I need to feel that connected to something, to someone, what have you. And it started to swing back a bit, you know? Hmm. But um, I think like that deep, ex- that deep dive into folks, like that's why Kid Cudi, you know, became such a cult phenomenon as well you know what I mean, is because he really had a deep dive into who he was, and that takes time, you know, that's why there's gaps between albums for a lot of these artists, you know, that we love so much, that make classics, quote-unquote, you know what I mean, as opposed to artists that have moments, you know, and I think, like, again, it's no diss, the, the stuff that's emotionally tapped in, that really is emotionally tapped in, is genius, and will be looked at in the canon of music, and will be remembered, hmm. you know, but when we're trying to talk about like growing a, a society and a generation and whatnot, like there's a definitely like a part of me that's like, man, we just need to think a little bit more and take a little bit more to feel like, well, why am I feeling this way? And I guess maybe that's what I miss in some of the artists, you know, that I really love. And there's still great artists out there like that as well, is that for me, it was always about, well, the why, you know, like I wanted to know behind the scenes and and again maybe that's why i got into radio and and maybe you know a bunch of other the behind the scenes of things but Mm. i always wanted to understand how things worked and so for me it was like all right cool like you superman you took nine shots you biggest dope dealer in the world but like tell me about what it was to cope with that because i know a lot of people that have been hit and they're trying to cope you know like and and they could really use those words healing you know what i mean exactly you know and like that type of stuff one of the most powerful workshops we ever did at remix project was with mac main from young money right he's ceo president of young money and this guy's known as a gangster you know in a lot of ways an intelligent businessman but a gangster like and that's that was the image that he put out as a persona man the talk that we had he talked about when his best friend got killed and how he didn't leave the house for months and was going through real depression, like real depression. you crying, fucked up on the couch. And he started talking about what books he was reading to get through it. And that was one of the deepest, most realest conversations we ever had. I think that made a biggest impact on young people that were in that room, you know, out of so many conversations. Because, like, folks go through that. People in this city are losing their friends, you know, brothers, sisters, family, friends, cousins, whatever it is. They're losing people to violence, we hear about that in the music. We hear about the violence. We hear about the reporting of it. We hear the bravado of people that are scared and kind of like putting it up and saying, all right, yeah, and we're putting our back out too, putting our chest out, puffing our chest out, just be like, don't mess with me because I'm the tough guy too. Like these are all reactions to a lot of stuff, you know? But we don't hear necessarily about the healing and about the other side of it or hear even just about the, you know, the heartbreak, you know? I mean, that's like a record like, um, Pillow B's War you know like that has all of the things that I'm talking about like in terms of the emotion in terms of the heartbreak of it in terms of the anger you know like in terms of the real like just like it, it you know it captures so many things in that record you know what I mean and mm. to me I was like okay that's a street record you know like there, you could say some gritty shit and he's got other tracks that are like just straight gritty records or whatever you know But to me, like, that was a record where I was like, man, that's something to be proud of. Because people can look back and go, okay, in 2017, 2018, this is how people were feeling in Toronto. And this is how people were dealing with it. Not just, like, talking street stuff, like, in terms of, like, how much product they have, what they've sold, and who they've shot, blah, blah, blah. Like, emotion. Human Mm -hmm. emotion. Teach me that. Because humans, like... For forever have been evolving. You know what I mean? Like in terms of our technology, uh, you know, from cell phones, internet, like cars, planes, everything, it just keeps changing so fast. And it's changing faster and faster every generation. But humans haven't, you know? We're still dealing with broken hearts. We're still dealing with like betrayal. We're still dealing with greed. We're still dealing with all of these. Basic human emotions because the human condition is the human condition is the human condition. And that's what I want to learn about. Mm. That's what I care about, you know, and I, I think that's why it makes a great record mm. is a record that can really tap into the human condition and that someone could be like, yes, I that felt I understood that that mm. made me understand me, you know, yeah, in a different way. Well,
1: you're in a position to to amplify records because he started a record label. Yeah. Called Public Records. Indeed. In uh, partnership with Universal Music Canada. Mm-hmm. Uh, so tell me about that. Why was it important to do this now?
0: Uh, for me, it was again, it was about infrastructure. It was the same reason why we built the remix project. You know, it was about understanding that the talent is not the problem in Toronto. You know? The talent exists. It's under every rock. You lift it up. There's talent. There's incredibly gifted and people.
1: people may think that we, the talent that came now, like they think yeah, it's like talent we just was started... discovered after Drake or something.
0: Yeah. Like people just <laughs> decided to start wrapping up here. People have been, arguably hip hop came here before it went to LA or Atlanta. You know what I mean? Toronto and New York are very, very close. It's an hour flight. It's a how many hour drive. Yeah. You got families from the seventies and eighties up here in Rex in Jane and Finch in Malvern. That in Regent Park, that were going to New York, that kids were getting sent to New York for the summer to go stay with their aunties and uncles and whatnot. We're bringing back Red Alert mixtapes, Africa Bombata mixtapes. Yeah, from early, the culture's been here early. The distribution was different. It's mm-hmm. hard for the younger cats to understand because the internet has just always been there. But imagine no internet whatsoever, period. That means your music gets out only through the radio or physical hand-to-hand CDs, which means who's printing that CD? Who's getting it across the American border and then putting it in a warehouse and then shipping it to Sunrise and making sure it's on the front shelf of Sunrise? That's a real thing. You couldn't get music out. That's different. It's just different. Hmm. You know what I mean? It just changed completely. Hmm. So it's just, you know, the realities that folks are are now contending with, there's a lot of the... similarities you know what I mean and whatnot but the the reality is is that now we can get our thoughts out and I think that people are just realizing and recognizing that oh man talent has always existed in Toronto you know it's not again that's not a new thing the culture is old it's rich here you know it's just becoming new to the rest of the world and what's exciting to the rest of the world right now again going back to the human condition is all of us do the same stuff Again, we're all going through whether it's relationship issues, personal stuff, work stuff, uh, wanting to grind and win, all these, you know, like the dramas that folks go through. The human condition is the human condition. The thing is we do it a little different. We say stuff a little different. Our slang is a little different. So for New York, when hip-hop started, like, there's an OG named Sean C. Sean C and LV. He's a legend in New York. And he said this stuff to me that I thought was really smart. And he was like, man, when rap music first came out, New York is like, also an alien city in america new york is not indicative of what the rest of america is like right it is its own thing Mm -hmm. and he's like when we came out we was aliens you know like we was aliens we was talking a certain way we dressed a certain way grimy guys we have tall buildings people stacked on top of each other that's not like the rest of america you know but we had this whole reality and then after a while he's like the west coast guys got into it and they added some melody to it he's like we didn't have no melody that was our problem once they realized they could have some melodies, like, and then the attention started to go this way and people, whatever. But also, we were really just interested in what they were doing. Because first people were looking at us, like, what are they doing? What are they doing? Blah, blah, blah. And then we were like, oh, so y'all into the same stuff that we into, but you do it a little different. So what's... That? And then it was the South. and It was like, oh, the slang's a little different. Or you eat the food, but cert- like, just like this instead. Or you still sell dope, but this is the way y'all move xyz in the situation and blah 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 and you talking about codes and whatnot and all these things are popping up and just again the human condition is the human condition but it's just done a little different and so now we had this moment for the last few years where people finally were like oh real talent's there we're going to be open to that concept and to that idea you know and then they got really interested in like well what is the toronto culture And for so long, we had our own identity crisis. We were trying to figure it out. And in the last few years, we've stepped into ourselves and stepped into our own. And people are really interested in that. So now it's that little bit different of what we do. You Mm -hmm. know what I mean? And you're seeing our slang starting to take over America and starting to find itself across the world. You're seeing our uh, fashion labels taking off. You're seeing all these types of realities now from Toronto culture going out. And eventually, people will be into a new kind of space. And it doesn't mean that we'll go away. And that was the reason why we started Public Records in a lot of ways. And Quiet is Kept, which is the management company and agency that we started as well, right, with E1, was because we need infrastructure to make sure that this is not just a moment and that we've created an industry, right? So it's all good if the next flavor of the month is some other city in some other country. That's fine. As long as we did the due diligence to create an industry to make sure there's enough working recording studios so that there always will be a place... For producers to, chat, to come to, to try to make it. For artists to come to, to try to make it. And then the best of the best will find distribution, find some monetary support, hopefully, you know, and be able to get connected into the right things to go. Mm-hmm. But if we don't create the physical infrastructure of studio systems of distribution systems, then again, it's just a cultural moment as opposed to creating that industry. Exactly.
1: Because we we have the leverage, we have the attention. And when we have that leverage and, and people are paying attention, we need to capitalize... With, with partners, corporations, the people who can fund it uh, to make sure, yeah, it's not only, it's not a, only a moment and that uh, we don't have a brain drain and everybody's going to LA and so on and so forth.
0: Mm-hmm. And All that's right? one thing that yeah. I, I think we can really credit the OVO movement for, which is making the decision to stay in Toronto and to create a base in Toronto and to hire Toronto creatives nine times out of 10. That heretofore was, un, was not done because there was just too much pressure to go and assimilate you know and mm-hmm. that's something i think that we can give a lot of credit for and other folks are now doing that and also deserve credit for doing that but i think that they like really helped turn the tide in that regard hmm you know yeah very important so uh they y- were unabashedly the, some of the first ones to really put Toronto on their back, you know, Cardinal as well, of course, Chacler as well, you yeah. know, some of the early cats. I'm not discounting any of the folks that did that work at all. Yeah. But in, in an international space, you know, that was the reality. And then when the call was, "We'll come live here in La La Land and all the reasons why you should was like, yeah, we'll set up an embassy. Yeah. But we're Toronto kids. But we're Toronto kids. You know, and, there's yeah. a, and we have the privilege of growing up in a generation where we have different distribution, where we don't have to have people in those cities physically beating down the doors, making sure CDs are stocked and all that. So we also have a different type of reality to contend with, too. And that should be understood and also, like, recognized, you know?
1: Mm. Which is, but it's an advantage. It's an advantage, it's of plus. course. Yeah, yeah, that's what yeah, I'm yeah. saying.
0: Like, you know, absolutely 100% is. So yeah. I, by no means, am I, again, am I trying to, like, disrespect folks, generations that came prior. It's yeah. like there's reasons, very systemic reasons why... You know, they were not having as great a success, maybe, mm. on a global level as mm. some of the folks that are having it today.
1: So these things, public records and quiet is kept, is fairly new, right? Like they are,
0: within the last year, both of them.
1: Both of them within the last year. Yeah. Uh, must be an interesting year so far, man. <laughs> obviously, a lot of great memories, but uh, there's uh you're obviously seeing what the challenges are and
0: still Absolutely. in Toronto, right? Absolutely. I mean— Can- Canada. There are— major challenges and, yeah. and it's continues to be a humbling experience. Um, I've been saying to folks, I've been like, oh man, you got these things, blah, blah, blah. And I was like, yeah, that's a lot to live up to. You know what I mean? Cause like, that's the way I feel. And I feel that if you're going to be successful in this world, you need to operate, which is like, if you've been given a great opportunity, if you've been given a great responsibility, then you have a lot to live up to. Right. So That's what it is right now, is we've been in a space where we're able to put out some records, we're able to invest in some folks, but we got a lot to live up to. We have to execute, you know, we have to fill out those Excel sheets, we have to make sure those emails get sent, that we're banging on doors, that we're championing things. Mm. But we're still dealing with, as much as distribution has changed and, you know, different realities are now out there, we're still dealing with the fact that we don't really have urban radio in this country outside of a very few small pockets, which are amazing champions, but are, again, are too small in a large well, you there's know, over nation. 600
1: <laughs> commercial radio stations in Canada, and how many can we
0: say are truly... Urban, Yeah. Right? Like, and urban yeah. radio. I mean, it, even urban radio, let's call it like rap and R&B. Yeah. That's what I'm talking about specifically, because yeah. G98 is not that. Yeah. You know what I mean? It's a cultural station, which yeah. is dope, yeah. and it's great, and it does play some rap and R&B, mm-hmm. but it is not a rap and R&B station, mm-hmm. right? Like, that is not what we have. 93.5 is... And no one else, you know, like there's a couple of top 40 that are urban leaning, you know, Ottawa plays a lot of urban stuff, Hot 89, you know, um, there's a station in kitchener Waterloo, I think that's still playing some stuff. There's one in Edmonton, you know, but like straight up urban, you know, like, or rapid R&B, like crazy. So that booking agents, you know, there are not nearly enough urban booking agents in the country, which is I don't think there's anyone that specializes in it. Mm. There's not a single person from the major companies yeah. that is just like, all I do is this, you know? Like there's folks that represent huge bands that also have taken on urban acts because, of course, it makes sense, you know? Yeah. But there's no department, you know? There's a couple of independent companies that have tried to fill the void and have done admirably in their spaces. But, like, when you look at the majors, like S.L. Feldman and Associates, you know, UTA closed their offices completely. You know um, the agency. Yeah. Yeah. Well, they were the before APA. And oh. They okay. cl- uh, sorry, uh, before UTA and yeah. then APA. So you know, but all these cats, like, no one has a department on that or someone that just does that or that specializes in that and that is looking to bring corporate partners to the table to help tours happen and make sure that costs are being, you know, uh, underwritten because Canada's market is crazy. You know, we only have like eight major cities that you can go to. And we have a huge landmass. So traveling is yeah. costly, you know, especially with a couple people and like routing and dates and stuff like that. It's just nuts. So you need certain We're partnerships. We're like the second largest country
1: in terms of landmass, but there's more people living in Cali, the state of Cali,
0: than in all of Canada. Absolutely. And I think... Uh, you know, it's ninety percent of our population lives within like a few hours within the, of border. Of the border. right? Yeah, And yeah. but it's spread out wide. Like I've driven Stupid it. I've driven expensive. when we were on tour with Rochester, a.k.a. Juice back in the day, Open we were opening for Ovi Trice. Yeah, opening yeah, for Ovi yeah. Trice. Yeah. Yes, you've done your research. Amazing. Yeah. of a little bit Following his tour bus, you know, we used to raid his dressing room when he was on stage to get breakfast for the next day. We'd take all of his, like, per diem shit from the night before, like, sandwiches and snacks and stuff, and that was our breakfast the next day. But, like, there was, dude, there was days where it was, like, 11-hour drive to the next city, and you're just like, what? In America, it's like an hour and a half, and you're in a major urban center again, and you can do a show. You know, you might have a stretch of a three-hour drive, and then you're doing something again. Like, But you can really tour your region. Here, it's like there's a bit of a regional market with like a kind of a southern Ontario into Ottawa, Montreal Mm -hmm. leg, and that's really it. And then if you're on the west coast, you have a bit of a run. East coast, you really kind of got Halifax, and you got to dip down into the states. And so with the border being tough, you know, like the reality is like we more got to look at it as like a corridor. You got to look at it at like Kitchener-Waterloo coming like Toronto, Kingston – Ottawa, Montreal, then down to, like, Philly, New York, D.C., and kind of, like, all through there, Jersey, like, all those places, and then back up. Like, you got to look at it like a region and stop looking at it like these borders, like colonial borders. You know what I mean? Because Mm -hmm. it's hard because we don't all have the privilege to go back and forth as easy, although... Our governments have been making it a little easier, believe it or not, with all of this dumb stuff that's been happening. I mm-hmm. made it a little easier for artists to actually do shows back and forth. It's easier to bring a, a U.S. artist up here to do a show, like in terms of getting a visa cleared and all that stuff. And it's easier for us to go down and do some of that stuff. It's still difficult. You still got to make sure you know what you're doing when you cross the border and, and what you're saying and all that stuff is legit. But they have made it a little easier. But we need to like, start looking at things like that because to try to work a Canadian market doesn't make sense. You know, and which again, when you look at that logic also shows you why you got to be live a positive lifestyle. You know what I mean? And I'll be a little more direct with that when I say is that if you catch a charge and you can't cross the border and you can't go to America, it is very difficult for you to be successful in as an entertainer. As a producer, a little easier because you can send records and files, but you still the power is being in the room with people and getting when you're getting placements and actually like getting a a joint officially on someone's project nine times out of 10, you gotta be in the room. Someone's in the room anyways, at least championing you, you know? So if you can't cross the border, you catch a charge, you get caught up in some stuff, man, it makes it really hard for you, you know? And so I would say to young folks that are living in a precarious situation, like I'm not going to tell you how to, to pay rent. Like when there's very hard realities out there and it's people, bills have to pay, food has to eat. Like, All of that, I understand it. But what I will say is that you really got to look at your future and understand: do you believe in yourself or not? Because three, four months of grinding it out, being hungry, crashing at different people's places, like if you have a vision and you're going hard and you're trying to figure it out, someone's going to figure something. Oh, maybe they're going to give you a job. They're going to figure out, like, you're going to find a part-time thing. You're going to start to figure it out, but you might have to go hungry for a few months. Mm -hmm. You know, even up until last year, we had a business that we grew, this thing called Deus, went through a corporate takeover. It was one of the most humbling heartbreaking experiences in my life. There was like two months because, you know, I got, it was like a type of situation I didn't necessarily know what was coming So, and I had no package like when I got let go and I don't have a trust fund. So, you know, as early as like last year, a year and a half ago, I was in a space where I was broke as hell trying to figure it out. Phone's not working, like mm. a grown-ass man that's supposed to be successful that people look to for answers and advice on their life. And I'm there, like, figuring out pasta for three weeks straight, being like, oh, man. Mm. But I got to know that I'm not a dummy and that I do have relationships and I got goodwill out there. And if I pick myself up and if I build a plan and if we do this thing and if I put in the right work, someone's going to give me a shot,
1: mm.
0: you know? But if I, am you know, be a middleman for someone and just help them move a pack and I didn't even really touch it, but I just made some cash and all of a sudden my phone's involved in something and I get called into a something – I'm fucked forever. Everyone that looked up to me is screwed forever. People that rely on me are screwed forever. It is not worth the risk. Not when I really believe in myself. You know what I mean? If I didn't believe in myself, then I can go do bullshit. Because I'm a waste mod. Who cares? But I believe in myself. You know, I can... I'm trying to be a humble person, but I know that I can accomplish things. You know what I mean? So I'm not going to fold and do those decisions. I'm going to have to hunger it up, man. Like, put the belt on, have a coffee... You know what I mean? Yeah. Like bring it down for a second, well, well, try to focus the, the, the and the get back is, to it. Like,
1: not only yeah, yourself, but like you, a lot of people are relying on you. That's the the, the difficult thing. Sometimes we may a, not view ourselves when right. we're thinking selfishly uh, is like, yeah, there's a lot of people looking up to you. Mm-hmm. Um, I had my stroke here last week and uh, the moment that he was talking about is the, the uh, you know, he was at a church with his mom and, and this is after let your backbone slide and. A uh, father said it to him in his ear. He's like, don't mess this up. And the reason he said that is because this happened after Ben Johnson and his, him getting stripped. Right. Everybody fell down. Right. And they were looking at Stroh as that guy. And we're looking to you now. Right, right, right. Don't mess this up.
0: Yeah. You and it's I mean? even more pressure for yeah. him yeah. You know, as a black man yeah. in society. Yeah. I have my immediate community looking at me in that way, but I don't necessarily have like, the hopes of white people you know what I mean, in that space, in the mm-hmm. way that he did. You know mm-hmm. what I mean? Because mm-hmm. there are so few positive black role models out there for not just other young black people, but for the rest of society to look to and point to, you know, at, especially at the time, like you're talking about 1989, right? yeah. when Maestro dropped right? yeah, that yeah, record. Yeah, yeah, yeah. You know, um, for me, I feel the weight of my community and the people that care about me and the people that I care about. And that weight weighs very heavily on me, Hmm. you know, but I'm under no illusion that I have the same pressure that some other folks have. You know what I mean? Simply because of the realities of, of our race. Well, th- This or, is the interesting thing and the, the, what I right?
1: uh, what I love about, you know, the conversations that we're having here, because you're saying, yeah, you've been doing this for, you know, been in the community. You're connected. You have the relationships. People look out to you. They may think, you that guy's got it made. But as recent as a year ago, you know, you were at a tough point like you were, you know, like you were saying what am I going to eat today That type, yeah. type of situation. Right. And uh, I, I think that's pretty important for people. For, thank you for sharing that because people think that there's a point where you just make it and then you're not looking back.
0: Yeah. I mean, the one thing I've learned in life is that yeah. life is not a straight line and that, that means everything, man, from like the journey to success. But also it means like with like coping with grief, you know, like there's so many things that people think that you just kind of like go through and then you've gotten to a new space. You know what I mean? So it's like, okay, you've accomplished these things and now you're successful. And so you'll just be successful. Or you've gone through this traumatic experience and it's been a couple months now and you seem fine. So you're good. You know? But that doesn't mean that in nine months from now, some trigger is going to happen and you're not going to get sent into this crazy space in your brain where you're like, what the fuck? You start crying. You don't even realize why you're crying. You know what I mean? Or you start getting angry and you're not sure why you're angry for a few days and you're realizing it's the echoes of grief, you know? And it's just that's the way time actually works. It's not linear. You know, emotions make it real again in that moment, you know? And so that's one thing that I've just come to recognize, you know, is that everything is connected, um, you know, whether it's an energy level down to, like, very specific, like, dominoes kind of vibes. But, like, everything Mm. is very connected and that things are not linear, you know? There are going to be moments that pop up where my best friend is not going to be my best friend and is going to behave like someone that is not, you know what I mean? Or, like, that we might even have a problem with or that was whatever. But that doesn't mean that we're not going to be best friends, like in a couple of months again after that or whatever, it doesn't mean that everything is now changed irrevocably. It means that things are shifting and realities mm. change. And I think that there's like some constants that are always, you always want to maintain as a human in terms of your moral center and who you are and how you present to the world and how you engage and just how you expect the world to act. Like there's going to be a way that whatever, but we have to be open to the reality that things continue to evolve and things that come back around and that, you know, we think that we've dealt with something. It doesn't mean that it's been dealt with, you know, mm. you know, we think that we're good. It doesn't mean that we're good. It just means that we're good right now. Yeah. You know?
1: Uh, so yeah, with these opportunities that you have a management company, a record label, uh, and, uh, but you got, de- you got to deliver.
0: Yeah. Right. Yeah, definitely. You know, and that's what, that's what we've been trying to figure out. Like I said, is, you know, what is that, what is that mix, you know, of support, investment, um and then just really like betting on the right person you know what i mean because i think there's a lot of room for a lot of different types of success out here you know in this city and in this world um and part of it is just understanding like what bets you're placing but it's also about like knowing what the payout is too you know like there's folks that they're not going to make as much money as maybe they wanted to but they traveled the world Through their art. They met incredible people through their art. They, you know, did the things that most of our peers will be saving up for 51 weeks of the year. And then we'll take a one week all inclusive somewhere, you know, and party and whatever and have a vacation and then get back to it. And it's like, yeah, you might not make as much money. You might not own your house like your friend does that just did that one week vacation. But you just traveled, you know, all over North America, meeting interesting people, performing your artistry, having a great experience. So what is the give and take? What's the trade-off? Where are you going to be satisfied with? You know what I mean? I think that's really important, too, is like what kind of life do you want to lead and and really kind of putting things in perspective sometimes, you know, Hmm. because like human nature is always going to want more you know, we, we, that's who we are, you know, that's why we've accomplished the incredible things we have as humans. And that's why we've accomplished some of the despicable things we have as humans, <laughs> you know, uh, yo, D- Gavin, I appreciate it. We're going to r-
1: wrap it up, but I, I guess what I want, cause you have this perspective and you've been doing it like you, you see, you know, uh, where Toronto has been so far and can go The for the people who are listening and tuning in, especially Toronto, Toronto creatives, You know, they're out and about, they're representing Toronto and people are trying to figure things out. What would you like to tell people? What would you like to to tell them?
0: I think, you know, I think the most important thing is that anytime you're trying to represent something bigger than yourself, then you have to put the best parts of yourself forward. Um, But I think that what the world respects is honesty. You know, um, and we see that in all of our great artists and all of our great creatives. You know, people are looking again for honesty. They're looking to understand themselves a little bit better. You know, and I think that the more personal you get in your creation, in your creativity, or in your art, it's actually that's the more that people can relate. You know, I think the more that we try to relate to other people or we try to find ways to connect, is actually where we're going to fall short you know or when people feel that it is not authentic but it's actually when you dig deep into the like the deepest of the personal experience you talk about like that mole on someone's face or something like that that just seems so specific to only you but like other people find themselves within that and i would say like stop looking to other people or trying to figure out what people are into or whatever and just find out what's really important to you and that with 7 billion people on this planet and the internet to connect us You're going to find enough of an audience eventually if you keep speaking your truth, you know, and speaking your reality or creating your reality or showing or illustrating and drawing or photographing or whatever it is. Mm. That's what I think is, like, the thing that's going to separate folks and what's going to create a, you know, a successful reality versus something that might be a flash in the pan or never quite did it.
1: And what do you want to leave behind? Like, that's what also, right? I always... You know, with, with all these, uh, our legends are passing away and going and we go to their body of work. What is your version of your body of work? That's mm-hmm. how I'm, I've been asking that question to myself. Absolutely. Like, what's my, you know, what's, what am I leaving behind that people can say, remember me by mm-hmm. type of thing?
0: And, and sometimes it's how did you live? Because I'll tell you, there's people that have passed away that were our friends that didn't live long enough to create a body of work necessarily that they'll be remembered by but they lived in such a way that they inspired us to move forward you know and now because of that their name is going to be remembered for a long time in different generations because of how other people are screaming and out or shouting it out and are trying to build rebuild their lives in a positive direction through that mm-hmm. through that tragedy but that only came about not because the person was the most feared guy on the block. It came about because he was one of the most loved. And how do you become the most loved? You know, by being a good person to other people, by checking for folks, by, you know, looking out and by like creating opportunities, by being there and a ear to listen and a shoulder to like lean on, like all of those things. But that's legacy. You know what I mean? Like. There's a few names that will ring out over time because of a fortune and that and this and that. But when we really look back ourselves at all the people whose names meant something and that reverberate, it's through what they did for others. You know what I mean? Or how they built or how they inspired people through an idea. Because as they say, people die, but ideas don't, right? So that's what I would leave with folks.
1: Hmm. Anything else you want to leave the people with or anything else you want to say about G? That's it, man. (laughs) Thank you, Gavin. Appreciate you, bro. And that is my conversation with Gavin Shepard on The Come Up Show podcast. Yo, what did you think? Did you learn anything? Leave me a comment on Apple Podcasts. The link is in the description. Give us a five-star rating and review while you're at it. It's your boy, Chato. The Come Up Show podcast uploads a new episode each and every Wednesday. We're available on Spotify, Apple Podcasts. Subscribe, share this with your friends. Truly appreciate y'all. Catch y'all next Wednesday. Peace.